You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. If you uh, if you watched the Facebook sermon preview for this morning that we uploaded earlier this week to our Facebook page, then you have an idea of, of what it's about, what about what is about to come with this story that I'm going to tell you. But many years ago, um, when I was a little kid, so we're talking a long time ago, right? I was looking through this magazine, and here was this advertisement for an American chameleon. If you send these folks X amount of dollars, they will mail you this lizard in the mail. And so I went to my parents and begged and pleaded and pooled all my allowance money and the money I had uh, found on the floor of my sister's rooms. And, you know, <laughs> that's so the story goes, right? And put all that together, begged my parents to let me get this. And so they said, sure, okay. And so I ordered it. And there was a guaranteed delivery of four to six weeks. Now, back in the day, we did not have Prime, didn't even know what that was. And when you ordered something, it usually wasn't a matter of days, it was a matter of weeks when it would come. But we did have UPS back then, way back then. And there was a UPS truck that would come through our neighborhood. And at about week four, I began to anxiously anticipate every day the UPS truck would come. And I would go out to the corner, I would wait for the truck, and for the first few times he came by, he actually stopped, because I was clearly waiting for him, and asked me what I was looking for, and I said, is Milton on board? And he said, who's Milton? Well, that was the name of my lizard, I'd already named him. And he said, oh, a lizard, okay, well, no, hasn't come yet. And so literally, I kid you not, every day I would wait for the UPS truck to come. And this happened day after day. And it got to the point where this UPS driver got a little jaded. And so he would be driving down the road and he would see me and he would just drive by and go, no, (laughs) stop bothering me, kid, until one day the lizard arrived. And then my cat ate him six months later. But (laughs) that's a sermon on forgiveness. We'll do that another time. But... The point being, to a little kid, when you are given a delivery guarantee of four to six weeks, that's like a promise. And so here I am waiting. There was this promise that this lizard would come. You ever waited for something that's been promised to you? Ever waited on God for a promise he has given to you? Well, that's where we pick up this story in Genesis. God has made a promise. In fact, it's a promise that he has repeated, and it is a promise that he will repeat once again, that Abram and Sarai are going to have a child, and they have waited, and they have waited, and they have waited, and still nothing. And so now we come to a point in the story where they proverbially take things into their own hands, and they decide to speed God's promise along. And kind of help God out a little bit with the timing of this promise that he's been giving to them. And so I want you to watch as I read this to you now, how that works out. How does it work out when we take one of God's promises and we try to speed it along and, you know, help out a little bit. As if God needs our help, right? But watch how this story plays out in Genesis 16. How well does this work out? Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. So go, 
sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. And then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. And then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much, they will be too numerous to count. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that is why the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son that she had born. So let's begin to work our way through this passage, because in every passage of Scripture, it tells us something about God, and it tells us something about us. So what does this amazing story tell us about God? Well, we start with the story here, and we need to appreciate and understand some things. In that culture, to not be able to bear children as a woman was profoundly painful. And some of you have walked that road. And it is not my intent to add to your pain. That, that is its own unique, private, incredibly difficult pain. But in that culture, it was more than just a private pain. It was a public pain. Because the assumption was, there is a you problem here. There is something wrong with you. Because in that culture, that was really the pinnacle of a woman's purpose, was to be able to have kids and to build a family. And what is Sarai saying here? The Lord has kept me. Really? Isn't the Lord the very one who has been promising a son to her over and over again? But it had to have felt like a punishment. And yes, I guess you could say the Lord was keeping her from having a child in that it wasn't going to happen yet, but he wasn't punishing her. He had made a promise to her, but you can hear the pain and you can hear the despair. And so she comes up with an idea that actually isn't her own. This is something that was widely practiced in the cultures of that day, was that if you were infertile as a woman, then it was considered okay for you to give your slave, your maidservant, to your husband. She would proverbially become a second-tier wife 
she hopefully would become pregnant, and then when that child was born, that child technically was yours, and your family name would carry on through that. Now, you need to understand, Scripture nowhere condones or approves or endorses this. In fact, what Scripture does endorse and approve and condone is God's original plan of one man and one woman in a covenant relationship for life. That is marriage. That is the only sexualized relationship that God promises blessing for. Everything else that's outside that is considered broken in Scripture because it leads to brokenness and it leads to trouble. This story is Exhibit A. How well does this work for the family dynamics that this is going to happen? It becomes a disaster. And this is a very difficult thing for, for me to see here with how Abram responds to this idea. Even though culturally it was okay at that time, he agrees. And the legitimate question that follows this is, Abram, where are the promises of God for you? Now some have said, and I think reasonably, well, maybe Abram didn't know or was still trying to figure out how God was going to fulfill this promise of a son to him. And that's, that's fair in the sense that we've seen Abram trying to figure out this, this God who he's now in relationship with and what's this God like. And we, we definitely have seen that. But in all fairness, God has been explicitly clear in this promise that this son is going to come through Sarai and no one else. So Abram goes along with this and he knows better. And it's been 10 years in fairness to him, though, that God has last appeared to him and said, you're going to have a son. 10 years is an awfully long time to wait for something. But there's actually more to it than that. At this point in his life, Abram is 85 years old. Sarai is 75 years old. Folks, it is just as miraculous for someone to have a baby in that culture at that age as it would be today. What would we all say if an 85-year-old man and a 75-year-old woman had a baby together? Holy cow, they'd make the front page of the National Enquirer, right? And we'd all go, yeah, no, not true, just like everything else in the Enquirer. I mean, we'd have a really hard time believing that, right? This, This is pretty amazing. We can't just breeze by this. There's legitimate longing here for a promise that hasn't been fulfilled. And so Sarai puts Hagar into the arms of Abram and Sarai gets what she wants. Hagar gets pregnant. At least presumably she gets what she wants. And now Hagar being pregnant begins to flaunt it and to rub it in the face of her mistress because in fairness what's now happened with Hagar is her status has changed from slave to maidservant to now basically second tier wife. Her status has been elevated, and now she has what Sarai has always wanted to have. And you can feel the despair here. You can hear the despair and the pain in Sarai's language. I put my slave in your arms. And how does this start? You are responsible for this. Now, wait a minute. Whose idea was this? But in all fairness to Sarai, Abram did go along with this, And this is profoundly difficult for her. She already has the shame of not being able to have children and now she's humiliated and she's angry and she's despairing. And so 
Again, another sad statement. I wish we knew tone and inflection. What's the tone of how Abram responds to her when he says, well, your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think is best. Was he dismissive? Your slave's in your hands. Do what you think is best. Was he angry? Your slave is in your hands. Get off my back. You just go do what you think is best. Or was he passive? Yeah, well. Your slaves in your hands, do what you think. Whatever the case, it was a broken response. And so Sarah begins to mistreat Hagar. And again, we're not told specifics here, but what was that like? Did she abuse her? Did she uh, make her life miserable? Did she shame her? Could it be all the above? We don't know, but it was so bad that Hagar did probably what you and I would in that kind of a situation. She ran away. She got out. It got so bad that she went on the run. And so we have this incredible picture now of the angel of the Lord appearing to her. And we'll come back to here in just a minute. But notice he asks her two questions. Where are you coming from and where are you going? Do you notice she only answers the first? Well, I'm running from my mistress Sarai, but she doesn't answer where she's going. Why is that? Could it be she doesn't know where she's going? I mean, the direction she headed is actually towards Egypt. Could it be she's running home? We don't know that either, but what we do know is that she's on the run, and this is the angel of the Lord who comes to her. And now, there's debate among scholars because the way this is written in the original language, it can either be this is an angel of the Lord, a representative of the Lord, a messenger of the Lord, or, some of you caught that, that's okay. That's okay. It's morning, more coffee needed. Or it's the Lord himself. And it really doesn't matter that we know the answer to that because the bottom line is still the same. The promise that this angel gives her is from the Lord. It is a word from the Lord for her. And what he says and how he says it is so significant because it's so compassionate and it's so tender. Because in that culture, Hagar was considered a worthless person, she had no standing. She had little value. She was someone in that culture who was often overlooked. And yet God himself, he appears to her, either personally or through his angel, and he speaks so tenderly and compassionately to her. And what does he tell her? Yeah, go back to Sarai. What? Why would she do that? Besides God telling her to, which is a good enough reason. But why would she do that? Well, what does he go on to tell her? He gives her this unbelievable promise. It is an amazing promise. Now go with me here for a minute. If your role as a woman is to build your family, if that is what is to bring you ultimate fulfillment in that culture, and now you're told, oh yeah, you're not just going to have a kid. You are going to have a generation of kids down the road. In fact, from your son is going to come a people Descendants so numerous, you can't count them all. In the life and heart of a woman, this, this is the pinnacle of what you could ever hope for for your life. This is an unbelievable blessing, and it's given to Hagar of all people. And a legitimate question is, why in the world would God promise this to Hagar? Because he's a God who keeps his promises. What did he promise Abram? 
From your offspring, from your seed, from your descendants will come a great people. Whose kid is Ishmael going to be? Abram's. God is fulfilling his promise. He said that any descendant of Abram's would be a great nation, a great people, and that's exactly what's going to happen here. You know, someone wise has once said, we are most like God when we make a promise and we keep it, even when it's hard. I was reading an article in USA Today earlier this week, and it was an article, an interview really, with Justin and Haley Bieber, who just got married this last year, and they were talking about marriage. And they had been in numerous relationships, according to what they were sharing there, and had never made a lifelong covenant commitment to someone else. And they were talking about the reality of, yeah, marriage is hard. And those of us who are married would say, yeah, no duh, right? It's incredibly rich and incredibly hard all at the same time because one of the dynamics in marriage is you are making a commitment, you're making a promise, and you were saying, I'm going to keep this promise, and sometimes it's really hard to keep that promise. That's basically what they were saying is, man, marriage is really hard. Yep. And it's hard at times to keep our word, but we're most like God when we do, and this is an example of God once again, keeping his promise and keeping his word. And we've talked about this reality, but anytime, really, you see a name in Scripture, it has meaning. Because biblical names say something about your character, your future, the gifts God's given you, the direction and bent of your life. And what is this kid's name? Ishmael, which means God hears. Which is also some foreshadowing for us. Because in Genesis 21, Ishmael's life literally is going to be on the line and God is going to hear him and respond to him at a time when he needs him the most. But here, it's God hearing Hagar and responding to her. And what kind of guy is Ishmael going to be like? Now, we can draw all sorts of conclusions from this, but I think another helpful descriptor you could place alongside this would be a wild horse of a man Because it captures that idea and the reality that's here of he's going to be independent, he is going to be free, he is going to be fierce, he's going to wander, but additionally he's going to be conflicted. He's going to be in constant conflict with those around him. Because who would the descendants of Ishmael eventually become? The Arabic people of today. And who are the descendants of Ishmael? Abram and Sarai's son going to be the Jewish nation. And what has happened for literally three millennia is the Jewish people and the Arab people have been at odds and conflicted ever since. My friends, we can trace much of what happens in the Middle East, the historic conflict between these two peoples, all the way back through human history to this very point. Because they are going to mirror the relationship between Sarai and Hagar. It's going to be contentious and conflicted and at times bitter. And that's what's going to play out and has played out through human history. But this is so beautiful. Because Hagar does something that no other woman in scripture ever does. She sees God and she names him. And it is an incredibly moving, powerful picture of intimacy. God hears her and he sees her. And it's not God's out strolling along and go, oh, hey, Hagar, look at her. It's more than noticing someone. 
It's looking into the heart of someone and knowing who they are. And you intuitively get this. Years ago, a movie came out by the name of Avatar. Remember Avatar? Some of you are saying, I wasn't even born then. Okay, it was a long time ago. But the next one, by the way, comes out next year. In that movie, what were they constantly saying? I see you. And what did that mean? Not just that I notice you, I get you. I understand you. It was a statement of intimacy. Folks, that did not originate with Avatar. That originated with God. That's how God sees us. He notices us. He sees into us. He gets us. And Hagar, so moved by this, names this place Bear Lahai Roy, which is not the latest Portland microbrew, you know, though it look, kind of looks like that. It's a name that means well of the living God who sees me. This well, this place is called exactly that because God saw her there. So let's drill down a little bit more on what this tells us about this amazing God. Well, we've seen this playing out through the pages of Genesis and God's word. Matt introduced this to us some weeks ago. Sean referenced it again a couple weeks ago. And we see this once again, this reality that God fulfills his purposes and promises on his timeline and not necessarily ours. Let's enter the story once again. It has been 10 years since God last appeared to Abram and promised a son. They've been waiting for 10 years. In Sarai's case, God has never appeared directly to her. So she's always heard this secondhand through Abram. God has promised this. God has promised this. She's never heard that directly. Of course she's beginning to doubt. Of course she's struggling to wait. You know what that's like. You know what it's like to wait on the promises of God that haven't been fulfilled. Let's take this one. Did Jesus say he was going to come back? Yeah, over and over and over again. Do we live in the reality that he could come back tomorrow? Yeah, we do. Has he come back? No, he hasn't. For 2,000 years, we've been waiting for Jesus to come back. Literally, you and I have been waiting our entire lifetimes to this point for Jesus to come back. And it's tempting to think it's never going to happen. It's an empty promise. Where is he? I've waited years, and he still has not shown up. Yesterday, my wife and I, Jamie, got to um, go be with Donna Sherbin. And some of you know Donna's story. I mean, she and her husband, Tom, and their family have worshipped here for many, many years. Donna has uterine cancer. It's been unresponsive to the treatments over the last handful of months, and is continuing to accelerate And they brought her home from the hospital a couple days ago and brought in hospice because she's in the final days, probably weeks of her life. So as Jamie and I are holding her hand yesterday and praying with her and talking with her, but mostly just, just being there with her, I'm thinking to myself, you know, God, you promised someday there will be no more cancer. Someday there will be no more death. Someday all wrongs will be made right. And that's a promise that you've been given and God you've given to us and God I'm I'm ready. 
And we've waited a long time for that to become a reality. But it doesn't mean it isn't going to happen because it's a promise from God. You can bet your life, literally, it is going to happen. But it's hard to wait sometimes, isn't it? But one of the many remarkable things we see about this story is that God sees and hears everybody. He shows compassion and care, literally, to everyone. But every culture has those folks who are overlooked, who are especially vulnerable, who are sometimes ignored, and actually sometimes they're unseen. In that culture, it was the poor, it was the widow, and it was, it was the foreigner. And God over and over again expressed a special heart for those who every culture would fill that blank in with someone, including our culture. But we serve and worship a God who sees and hears everyone. He doesn't make those kinds of distinctions. He shows compassion and care for everyone. And that's what we're called to be as a church. And and I'm so gratified that that's who you are as a church. That is one of the heritages of this wonderful community of people that, that you are. I mean, I knew of that being lived out here as a church long before I came and got to be a part of this, you do see in here everyone and extend grace and love and try to love everyone. And if you're not aware of this story, we've been part of a great story together for a number of years as we've reached into the community and done life together. About 20, 25 years ago, a group of Hispanic folks asked if they could use our building for their Bible studies. And we said, yeah, sure. And so we entered into this facility use partnership where we shared the building together. And then a handful of years ago, God brought us Gabe and Carrie Myers, and Gabe is now our Hispanic pastor. And that group of 30 people began to grow. And it grew to the point that we decided to delineate a service on Sundays that was in Spanish so that they could worship in their heart language And our fourth service is our Spanish service. And that service has now grown from 30 people to over 200 every Sunday. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Gets better. Gets better. We have the opportunity to be a part of something that is a remarkable opportunity for the gospel. And it is something that the elders and I want us to strongly consider doing as a church family. In fact, the elders and I are saying, we think we should do this, but we want to hear what you think. So let me roll this out to you. What I'm about to read to you is on a piece of paper in the back, and I strongly urge you to grab a copy of this on your way out after we're done today, because it'll give you a lot more information. We've um, got some commonly asked questions that we're assuming you're going to ask that we've tried to find good answers for, but I'm going to read you the first portion of what's on that paper here. It's an incredible opportunity for us to be a part of something that's happening here in our community. It says this, According to the American Immigration Council, 10% of Oregonians are foreign-born. An additional 12% are native-born with foreign-born parents. Currently, the naturalization process costs anywhere from twelve dollars to $25,000 a person and is confusing, complicated, time-consuming, and frequently does not have a successful outcome. And oftentimes, large amounts of money are expended for legal services without clear guidelines or hopes of success. 
Additionally, the current political climate leaves many undocumented people pursuing legalization fearful and unsure of how to proceed. And many of our Hispanic brothers and sisters at Comunidad are confronted with these very issues. Immigrant Connection is a faith-based immigration legal service under the auspices of the Wesleyan Church. This is a Department of Justice-approved immigration service offered in houses of worship across the United States. Additionally, IC directors are trained through a program with World Relief and Evangelical Relief and Development Agency. Because of the focus, training, and efficiency of the IC service, catch this, in many cases, the naturalization process can be completed for seven to $900. Plans are now underway to open a site at Columbia View Wesleyan Church here in our community. A director has been appointed and started training in December. We will bring her next Sunday and introduce her to you. In partnership and collaboration with Columbia View Wesleyan Church and other East County churches, the GCC elder team is proposing that we help complete the process of bringing IC to our area. There's an initial startup cost of about $35,000, $40,000 with this endeavor. It's a one-time cost to give the director training, to open the site at the Wesleyan Church, and to um, finish the process there. And then the way this is set up is to be self-sustaining. That fee schedule of seven to $900 is going to self-sustain this. So here's the bottom line. We believe as an elder team, this is an opportunity to not only bless our Hispanic brothers and sisters here at Grace, but the greater community at large. This is a legal, government-approved, cost-effective means for naturalization. It is a way to live out and proclaim the gospel to our community. And we have said that we would like to contribute somewhere between five dollars to $7,000 to these initial one-time startup costs. So what the elders and I are proposing to you, based on your feedback, we would like to, in a couple weeks, when we take our fellowship fund offering on March 3rd, to devote that offering to this, because on any given Sunday, about five dollars to $7,000 is what we all contribute to that. We'd like to delineate the March offering to go to helping with this, this part of the process. Um, and this is something we'd like you to consider, and the elders and I want to hear your input on. And we've got more information for you in the back. But that being said, these resources that we're considering using from the fellowship fund are what we currently use these types of resources for. The fellowship fund goes to relief, which is when someone is struggling to pay bills, pay utilities, needs to put food on the table. The fellowship fund also goes to rehabilitation needs, and that is someone who needs counseling, someone who needs budgetary guidance, someone who needs job training. We've used those resources for that. But it's also developmental. We use the resources from the fellowship fund to assist agencies like pregnancy resource centers that you heard earlier in the service, like my father's house, like other entities in the community. So the elders and I believe this is consistent with how we use fellowship fund resources already. So that's why we're proposing this to you as something for us to consider. So please come to the elders and me and the staff with questions, with your input. We are listening. We want to know what you think. But this looks like a direction that we're, we're going to be going. And I personally am very excited about the opportunity for the gospel and for us to be able to do this together. Because God extends grace to everybody, including me and including you, the undeserving. Because no one deserves God's grace. Abram sure doesn't. He's been given promise after promise that this is going to happen, and yet he joins in on this incredibly broken decision that has significant consequences. Sarai 
has been given these promises. And in her despair and in her impatience, she enters into this broken decision. And Hagar is a part of this brokenness. She mocks and disparages and rubs it in the face of Sarah what's happened to her. Do any of them deserve God's grace? Yeah, no. And neither do I and neither do you. But God's grace is never a license to sin. It is the escape from it. The reason God gives us chance after chance to repent, what the Bible calls turning away and to change our mind and heart about our brokenness and choosing to go the direction of following him is because it's intended to be an escape from that. You see, no one enters the kingdom of God based on their behavior. You only enter the kingdom of God through a savior and that is Jesus Christ. Because of his death, burial, and resurrection, when we respond to that reality and we receive him into our lives, this God who sees us and hears us and knows us, he gives us a new heart and he gives us the ability to live out the identity that we were originally created to be. But some of you struggle with that and I get it. Because like me, you've made decisions in your life that are broken and that have had consequences and that you have regrets about. And in a gathering this size, I would guess that there may be some of you who you have secretly given up on God's grace and God's work and God's hope and God's redemption in parts of your life. Maybe your life as a whole. I mean, in fairness... If we're honest with ourselves, we probably all have regrets of some kind. Decisions we've made that we regret, things that we should have done or didn't do that we regret. You know, by way of example, as a parent, my my kids are now young adults and I think back on their younger years and man, I have regrets. I wish I would have done some things differently or not done some things or should have done some things. But we have a saying in my family that comes from passages like these and it's this. Tomorrow is a new day. And it's true. Every day is a new day for those in Christ Jesus. As Romans says in the New Testament, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Every day is a new day. That's why scripture can say Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, And forever. The God that we read about in these stories is real. He is the same God now as he was then. And that's why we worship him. And that's why we can trust him. And that's why we follow him. So as our worship team comes and as we sing to this holy God, off to the sides we have communion tables please get up and go as the Spirit prompts you and remind yourself of what Jesus has done for you, how he has shown grace to you, how he has seen and heard you. Our prayer teams will be off to the sides. Go and pray with them because they would love to pray with you. But let's remember the God who loves us, sees us, hears us, and comes to us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are good, you are real, You are faithful and you always do what you say you were gonna do. You keep your promises. Would we believe that? 
would we remember that? And we sing to you now in your name. Amen. Amen. He is the great I am. He's the God who makes promises and keeps them. Even when we have to wait, even when it doesn't feel like he is, he is faithful. Our prayer teams are here. We would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you about anything that you're walking through right now. We want to encourage you on your way out to grab one of those um, FAQ sheets on the immigration connection. Our office staff doesn't have much to do, so take all of them so they can print some more. Don't tell them I said that, by the way. That's among us, and that's not true. But please, take that. We want you to have good information, and please talk with us and let us know what you think. And let me tell you what, God's word says here at the end of Thessalonians as we prepare to go. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Jesus, thank you for these words that you give us that encourage us that inspire us, that give us life, and that give us hope. Lord, as we go from here, would your spirit compel us to love others the way you have first loved us. Help us to live out this good news that we've been reminded of once again. And God, continue to anchor our hearts to the hope that you give us, a hope that is rooted in who you are. You do what you say you will do, even when we have to wait for it, even when it doesn't happen the way we think it will. You are faithful so we can be faithful. And we thank you for your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen. Amen. So we hope to see you next week. Go and live for him. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.